It, it, it's actually a letter or an epistle that was written by a person who spent three years, like non-stop years with Jesus. Like every day, every night, traveling around with him. Like, just think about that. Imagine if, you know, you lived, ate, you know, but imagine that you're, you know, you spent like 24-7, three years with one of your professors. Everything. Like meals, yeah, I see some look on your face. That would be quite a seminar, right? But that, that, that's what Jesus did. But that's what Jesus did with his disciples for three solid years. And John, who's the author of this New Testament letter, he knew Jesus well after that time. And John was actually your age when he spent that time with Jesus, late teenager, early 20s. And he spent those three solid years with Jesus. And then decades later, as, a, as an older mentor in the faith, he writes this letter to Christians scattered throughout what we would call modern-day Turkey to try to encourage them in their faith and in their, in, in their obedience to Jesus. So listen to how John introduces this letter. We're going to look at just the first four verses tonight. It is filled with wonder and joy because somehow, this is what John's trying to impart to us. Somehow, the God of the universe has taken on a body in the person of Jesus Christ. And somehow, that same God has come to us in a very intimate, in-person way. So listen to God's word as I read it for us tonight. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. That which was from the beginning, referring to Jesus which we, John and others, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And now we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make your joy complete. So brief little roadmap of where I want to take us. Where I feel like this passage takes us tonight is I want to um, look at this passage from three angles. There's the physiological, okay? The theological and then the personal. All right, so first the physiological. So for all you pre-med students here tonight, be gentle. If I say something wrong about the human body, just affirm me. I, I like being affirmed. Okay? All right, um, so listen to the text again where John writes, he's marveling that somebody that he could touch, see, hear, just like us here tonight, that which we have seen and heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which our hands have touched, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified. John has had an intimate, in-person encounter with another embodied being. And, and this encounter has changed his life. And, and now John wants us to know about it. And we will consider the who behind this encounter. But let's take a couple of minutes and think about what it means to have a body and the physiology behind it. Right, because uh, our bodies, when you like one step, is our bodies are amazing and, and, and they're glorious. 
I mean, I know many of you watch the Olympics. I watched the Olympics. And, you know, I could not believe what different human bodies can do in competition. One of the greatest two track and field races I have ever seen, the men's and women's 400-meter hurdles. It's extraordinary. Like, two of the races of my lifetime that I witnessed. And that there are people, right, using their bodies right now, all around the world, to perform surgeries, to build large skyscrapers, to write novels, to understand physics, maybe that's some of you later tonight, <laughs> you know, to serve a neighbor a meal, and some people are using their bodies right now to clean the dishes um, from the dinner that you just enjoyed. Think about the glorious things, big and small, that we are capable of doing with our bodies, right? And it, it, for you to be alive today, you've, you've taken probably about 25,000 breaths or so. And I probably am going to guess that not one of us has thought about breathing today. And that's extraordinary. I'm also told by biologists that supposedly the human body, in like the last 60 seconds or so, your body has lost about 300 million cells. And it's working hard to replace all of those cells. So, like, you're working hard right now. Your body is working hard and you had no idea. Right? You're not even thinking about it. There is something amazing and glorious about the human body in all of its aspects. There is something special about us. The Bible says that we, we have incalculable value, not because of what we can do, but to who we are in the image of God. That we reflect God in a unique way, unique apart from all other things in creation. And in this sense, each human being has great value and is precious to God. And therefore, should be precious to us in our attitudes and our actions as well. But, right, and this is, this is a but, when bodies or bodies are not treated as valuable image bearers, and that happens all the time, you know, it grieves us, or at least it should grieve us. So the U.S. Constitution originally considered some people made in the image of God, they considered them three-fifths of a person. Or more recently, the Me Too movement, you know, that forms because there are people in positions of power who are not honoring other bodies, particularly women, um, as, as they ought to honor them. And it is easy to point the finger outward, but to give millions of examples. But then we need to think about our own selves and how we've used our bodies, our mouths, our minds, our hands, in ways that have wounded others. You know, not treated them as the special creation, the image bearers of God that they are. So to use Christian language, we have sinned against others with our bodies, and we've sinned against God in the process. So we can be awesome in our bodies, but we can also be awful. And we sort of live between those two worlds, and we go back and forth. But one other thing I'll mention about our bodies, is we, and we get this especially the last year and a half, is we're fragile and vulnerable. COVID has made the human race feel like just how fragile we really are. That something so microscopically small can bring world economies to a halt. And, you know, and a lot of us panicked. I, I remember when they first started here, you couldn't find yeast, you couldn't find toilet paper, you couldn't even find pumpkin. The cans came with pumpkin. Um, 
because we were afraid. Right? We, we felt very vulnerable, very weak. Um, our body, like these things, it reminds us that our bodies, life itself is temporary. It, it, our body is a package with an expiration date. And this is a hard reality. It's a tough reality. Uh, I remember reading biography about Steve Jobs a few years ago, um, where in the final chapter he was facing his own mortality um, and just meaning and purpose of life. And it was such a sobering chapter, such a humbling chapter to read about it. And so come back to um, the physiological angle, right? To sum it up, this is what it means for human beings to be in a body. We're amazing and glorious sometimes. Sometimes we're awful. We're valuable as God's image bearers, but we're also fragile and vulnerable. Like that's what it means to have a body. And every human being has a body. And so now, just moving from the physiological to the theological. Why would the God of this universe, the God who created you and me, the God who made us embodied creatures, why would he take on a body himself? This is way beyond a painter stepping into her painting or a novelist stepping into his novel. This is God stepping into our world with flesh and bones into time and space. And it's just, it's simply unimaginable. And we're just saying, like, incomprehensible, right? It's like, this is beyond our ability to fully understand of who God is and what he has done. And so I, I want you to come back to John's words and hear the wonder again. He said, the life appeared. We have seen it, we testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, but has now appeared to us. And even though John experienced it, remember he lived with Jesus 24-7, three years he still is marveling decades later that that actually happened. It's almost as if he can't believe it, but he's testifying that this is reality. God has come to be with us. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas as Christians. We celebrate the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, entering into our time and space. That in an amazing way, the second person of the Trinity, the, the, the one true God, three persons, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, that he took on flesh and bones and he came to us in such a personal, not virtual, right, but such a personal way. So go back to my physiological points and just consider this. Jesus knew the risk, right? He knew the inevitable endpoint. We know the risk. We know the inevitable endpoint of what it means to have a body. That by becoming one of us, he knew his body would be subjected to the awful things that we do to each other in this world. Whether it's the betrayal of friends, injustice, emotional abuse, physical violence. And ultimately, he knew his body would feel the fragility and the vulnerability of what it means to be in a body and that he would go through death itself. And he knew that. 
And yet, yet, he willingly entered into a human body and our time and space and came to us in person. Why would he do that? Why would he stoop so low? Why would he condescend to such a level that the God of the universe can be found on the street corner? That the one who has sustained all 25,000 of our breaths today will one day lose his breath at the cross. Why would he do this? C.S. Lewis, some of you know, you've maybe read like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but he said something like, imagine if you willingly chose to become something like a slug or a crab. And if you think about that, now you're starting to get the hang of it, of what it must have meant for God to become a person. I don't want to become slug or a crab. <laughs> Who does? But that's the extent, that's just even the beginning of the extent of what Jesus has done for us. So why would he do this? And actually, he, he's done this. It's, it's right in the text. You heard it. So let me just, just, just read it again. Jesus came to be in person, not remote. He took on a physical body and all that it entails because, verse 1, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Verse 3, we proclaim this to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And finally, verse 4, we write this to make your joy complete. And it's, it's unmistakable. I know you caught it. Jesus did the unimaginable in order to bring us life, in order to bring us joy, and in order to bring us fellowship into fellowship with him, his father, and one another. And so now this brings me to thy third movement, the third angle to look at this, the final angle, is the personal angle. One of the great things about college in general, or about Princeton, um, is that this is a season. Um, wherever you are, like first year, senior, grad student, this is a season where you will learn many, many things. At least that's what you're supposed to be doing in theory, right? Um, enjoy this season, because it, it will go more quickly than you realize. And I know I sound like an old guy right now, telling you that that's the way it is, but you know what? I'm right. <laughs> no, seriously, I hope you find joy and meaning in your studies and in your pursuits with your friends, your peers, your professors. But turning to the personal, we can't approach Christianity the same way we approach classes. You know, it's not, what can I glean here? Or what can I take away from here? You can absolutely approach Christianity with questions, with, with, with skepticism, with curiosity, and, and you, can, you can rigorously investigate its claims. Because if, if it can't hold up, I don't want to believe it either. Right? So that's not what I'm saying. But at its core, Christianity is unmistakably personal because Christianity is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. He took on a body. He came to us in person. He lived and he died and he rose again for us. You know, his ultimate mission or reason for coming 
wasn't to give propositions to us or lectures. Though he, you know, taught truth and he preached to many, his ultimate mission was to come, to live, to die, and to rise again for us. And by doing that, he brings us life, he brings us joy, and he brings us fellowship. And that is about as personal as you can get, right? Someone dying for another person in order to bring them very beautiful, gracious gifts. It's very, very personal. And I remember, if you just like wouldn't mind me just reflecting on my own journey with God and with Jesus. I remember when I was a student here, it was my first year, I was in 402 Feinberg Hall, um, so down there in first college, and I, I was just, I would call myself a baby in the Christian faith. God had just brought me to faith like weeks or months before coming to campus. And so I'm there in Feinberg Hall, and I'm just having my eyes open to, to so what does it mean to follow Jesus, knowing him? Um, and one of the things that I did is I opened up my Bible. Somebody gave me a Bible. It was my, um, it's right here, actually. It was um, one of the moms of my best friends in high school. She, Mom Grove. <laughs> she gave me this Bible that I still have and still read out of. And I remember sitting in my dorm room, 425 Bird Hall, sitting at my desk, probably the same desk that's still there, <laughs> and just deciding, I'm going to read the Gospel of John, the same, the same author who writes this, this epistle. And I would read maybe one chapter a night or two chapters a night, and I could hear Jesus speaking to me through these words. And he was getting a hold of me in a way that I began to know if he really is alive, still alive today, and he really is Lord of all, then of course, he's not just speaking to the people you know, 2,000 years ago, but that he is still speaking to you and me today. And so his words, as I was reading what was happening, his words, his promises, what he did, who he was, it was personally connecting to me. He was reaching out and connecting to me. And that that is what John is trying to communicate to us as well, is that Jesus came here for you. Jesus came here for me. Jesus came here for us. He came to bring us into a body of people that he can call his own. And one of the things that I remember thinking is, as I read through the Gospel of John, is it's so clear that Jesus is giving everything to me, to us. He's giving his whole life. And now he's calling us, he's calling me to now respond similarly, to give our whole lives back to him, to trust him with everything. Our hopes, our dreams, our wallets, our friendships, to, to, to orient everything around him because he gave everything for us. And I am here to testify. I am here to testify, just like John, that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is trustworthy. He is trustworthy of your life. He can bring you life. He can bring you joy. He can bring you fellowship. So I'd like to end tonight um, by asking three personal questions. Um, and I want to ask them, and you know what? I'm not just asking them to you. 
I'm going to ask them to myself too, because we're all sitting, in a sense, we're all sitting at the foot of the cross, hearing from Jesus. Right? We're all the same. Um, so I'd like to just maybe you could just close your eyes, listen to the crickets chirping, the locusts. Um, I, I want to ask you three questions, um, but it's not really me asking them to you. I want you to try to hear Jesus' voice as, 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 as they are spoken. So to each of you, I have sustained you and I have kept you alive for all of the days upon the earth. Do you believe that I have come and I've given up my life for you in order to bring you and offer you real life, life as it's meant to be lived? Will you trust me and obey me today? Will you trust me and obey me tomorrow? And the second question, to each of you in the midst of the trials and difficulties of life, do you believe that I can give you joy that transcends your circumstances? Joy that is rooted in my promises for you, promises that cannot be shaken, promises as secure and certain as the empty tomb. And finally, to you, to each of you to whom I've given my body, do you see that I can bring you into another body it's my body of fellowship. It's in this body you will have confident peace with God and others that you can call brother and sister in my name. Lord Jesus, we do turn our hearts to you. You are amazing. There is no one like you. And we praise you and we worship you that in your love, in your grace, in your inscrutable wisdom, that you came to us in such a personal way. And you did it in a way where you lived and you died, not just at the whim of the world, but you did it specifically on mission for us, for people that you now call your own. Lord, I pray that as the year unfolds, I, I pray that you would give us a vision to see you more clearly, your beauty, your love, your grace, and all that you have done. And I also pray, too, that you would strengthen and encourage those here, wherever they are before you. I pray that you would strengthen each one here to come to know you better and to see who you are more clearly and trust you um, with the days ahead. So Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that we can gather in your name. It is the name that is above every name. And we, we, we really believe that you are alive forevermore and worthy of our faith and our trust in our lives. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.